Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America College podcast, along with Aaron Fitt. I'm John Manuel. I want to remind you that this year's college podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther, Louisville Slugger. Aaron, back from the Palmetto State. What is the corporate name of the Clemson-South Carolina Challenge, Aaron? It's got some little... The Reedy logo. River Rivalry, is that Reedy it? River Rivalry, that's it. It's that's hard it. to say. <laughs> hard for me to say, anyway. But you were at the Reedy River Rivalry this weekend. <laughs> See, like I said, uh, Baseball America had a little, little Carolinas bias this weekend. We stayed in the Carolinas, and we had, but we had uh, teams from across the country. We had uh, the Notre Dame Challenge over at USA Baseball Complex with Notre Dame, Michigan, UCLA, NC State, and, of course, uh, Youngstown State, the team we were all out to see. Mm-hmm. No offense to Youngstown State. Did hear they have a closer who's worth watching. Um, there's uh, news from around the country with Air Force having a vote this week to uh, about the possibility of that program uh, being ended. So we had Temple uh, basically officially shuttered, really. Uh, that uh, kind of came down last week. Air Force could be next. So there's a lot to chew on today's college baseball podcast. Um, Aaron, but let's start off with the Reedy River rivalry. And South Carolina made quite a statement, Aaron, because uh, we really thought long and hard at the top of our top 25 rankings about moving the Gamecocks to number one. We wound up not doing it. We went, uh, you know, we went chalk at the top with Virginia, Florida State, remaining one and two with the Gamecocks three. But a resounding victory for South Carolina, a sweep of Clemson, their rival, packed houses throughout. And uh, when push came to shove, uh, South Carolina pushed, and Clemson did not shove back. They fell over. And 23 out of the last 30 meetings now in the win column for the Gamecocks against their rival Tigers. Yeah, and I think it's, what is it, 13 out of 16 or 14 out of 16. It, it, you know, since 2010, it's been especially pronounced, since the t- 2010 College World Series. Um, and, you know, it's you got to wonder if, if, if the Gamecocks are just in Clemson's head right now. And, and uh, you know, it's not like they played poorly on Sunday. You know, Clemson, to their credit, they came out after really um, a, a collapse, uh, I think, on Saturday in the ninth day, that ugly ninth inning where they had all those walks, that five-run ninth, and the, there was the, you know, the, um, the tensions and everything, the tempers flaring. That's the best way to say because it, it wasn't a it wasn't a hullabaloo. There was right, hullabaloo, right. but there wasn't a, like a fracas. Right. There wasn't a foo It's more hollering than anything else. Yes, pretty much. Um, but, you know, Clemson came back and re- regained their composure and played very well for eight innings. And, and frankly, you know, there were a couple of things that could have gone their way over the course of the weekend that didn't. Um, you know, I guess when you're, when you're in a rut, you don't get the breaks. Right. I mean, there was that call uh, down the line. Um, yesterday in the later innings when Clemson had a chance to extend their lead, uh, a ball that everyone thought was fair. Um, you know, it sure seemed to hit a lot of chalk. And, um, you know, I was sitting with some scouts at that point, and everyone's, everyone thought it was fair, and they were, they were questioning where the umpire was standing and saying that he didn't do a good job. And, and there was another call down the line, I think Saturday, down the, down the left field line that didn't go Clemson's way, a ball that hit the umpire. And he, you know, I mean, it was, it was not very well umpired series, I thought, frankly. Uh, not that that's why Clemson lost. I mean, how about the Saturday game where the head coach makes contact yeah. <laughs> and is on the field and makes contact with a player during the play? Right, exactly. Right in front of the umpire, and there was no, there was nothing called. No. I mean, I think it would have been forgivable understanding if Jack like it had been ejected there. Just, sure. I'm sure that's in the rule book. Hey, if a player, you know, yep. that was really unusual. That led to the heated discussion. Um, but yeah, this, like you said, there were just some obvious calls that just seemed like they weren't made. Or, yeah. and, but that's not. But the calls aren't why South Carolina swept this right. series. It seems like right. the, the reason South Carolina swept this series is that its pitching is a little bit stronger. Yes. Uh, and then uh, when they needed the big hits, they got them. I think one of the tweets I saw that I liked the best from you is, uh, I like all your tweets, but uh, <laughs> especially the ones defending me. But the South Carolina tradition of the big veteran power bat in the middle of the, of the middle of the lineup. The names change, but whether it's L.B. Dantzler or Jerome Peters or Justin Smokes, a little bit better version of it, but he had his Phil Disher. The guys who aren't necessarily prospects but are really good college players, yeah. and then they have another one of those in Kyle Martin. Exactly. He fits that mold. He's so physical in the middle, and he just can really hit. you know. And, and I like their lineup a lot. You know, Connor Bright is one of those 
those South Carolina guys that maybe flies under the radar a little bit. He's not flashy, but he's really locked in. Everything was hard contact from him this weekend. Uh, you know, Joey Pancake hasn't even really gotten going in the three hole, and when when that happens, they're going to be even more dangerous. And then you got to think at some point, you know, Tanner English is is going to put it together, and he showed signs this weekend. He had a couple balls hard. He had a home run on Friday. He had that big two run double to, to give South Carolina the lead in the ninth inning on Sunday. Um, he beat out a bunt in, in a key spot, um, you know, and he's going to beat out a lot of bunts uh, with his speed. But right. um, you know, so they've got weapons that haven't even necessarily peaked yet. Um, so there's more upside with the South Carolina team than, than we've even seen so far. But um, you know, but the bottom line is, yes, they're I think they're they're better in the bullpen. And and going into this series, when we're breaking it down, I, I thought South Carolina would win the series because I like their pitching better, and um, I certainly feel like that that opinion was reinforced this weekend. I mean. The Gamecocks now, especially in the bullpen, with Cody Mincy and Joel said, and they got those two guys that they really trust back there. Because um, they lost, I mean, they lost a very valuable, trusted guy in the bullpen last year in Webb. Yep. Um, so that was a question mark we had coming into the year: Do they have that go-to guy? We thought they did, but now they've kind of proved it. Exactly. And and for Clemson, you know, I feel like they they believe in Clay Schmidt, and he came in and did a great job for an inning and a third uh, Sunday night, and then the ninth. They just squared them up over and over again. And, and i got to say that it struck me, John, um, that you know every time a Clemson pitcher was particularly emotional in, in, in celebrating a strikeout to end an inning, <laughs> it happened on Saturday. It happened on Saturday. Matthew Crownover in the second inning you know, got a strikeout to end the second. And he's jumping around like Tiger Woods just won the Masters with a huge fist pump. <laughs> and then he comes out the next inning and gives up five runs. And then... On Sunday, you know, Clay Schmidt was strutting, and you know the scouts. Cock of the walk. Oh man, it was you know he was Got the really. Wrong team for that. He was he was really it was some serious bravado. It, you know after he struck out, struck out three guys in a row in the eighth, and he, he did it after the second strikeout, and he really did it after the third strikeout, and then the scouts around me are saying, "Man, I'm not on that." You know, I'm not on that. <laughs> and then he comes out in the ninth, and he gets hit hard. Maybe it's a coincidence. I don't think so. I don't know. The Gamecock players said, hey, we noticed it. <laughs> it always seems, it really has seemed that way in the rivalry that South Carolina seems like it's emotion. They, they seem that they play well with emotion. And Clemson seems like it almost gets too, you know, you see it all the time in every sport when a rivalry means so much to one yeah. team and they want it too bad. You can't fault the Clemson players for wanting it that bad. But the results are the results, Aaron. And there's a gap between these two programs now. I mean, it's not just it's not just the head-to-head meetings. It's, it's overall. But there's a gap. And this mean this this series did mean more to Clemson because they win this series. They're reversing a recent tide, and they're making their mark against the recent national champion. And they haven't been able to do it. And, uh, and you know, you got a five-run lead on Friday, and you find a way to lose. <clears throat> you got a two-run lead with two outs in the ninth on Sunday, and you find a way to lose. The way I it mean, happened, yeah. That's what was so stunning about this thing was the way it happened. And then even Saturday, I know that wound up being ten to two, but you know they were in that game. Even when it was five to two, they had the bases loaded, they had opportunities, yeah, and they, and they couldn't get the big hit like South Carolina could. So, um, it's yes, twenty-three for thirty-one now. Correcting myself, it's twenty-three of the last thirty-one for the Gamecocks <laughs> since the two thousand seven season. The thing that uh, struck me, Aaron, in this series was uh, just talking to some of the guys uh, Saturday when I went out to uh, USA Complex. Um, was this, the, the scouts who were there, and then also the um, uh, talking to some of the USA guys who were around Grace and Griner last summer, and just the, the the progress that Grace and Griner made, the big hit he had Friday, the leadership that he brings. It seems like another separating factor. We've yeah. talked in the preseason about how much we like Chris Oakey. And Garrett Boulware. That's one of the strengths of Clemson's team. Is they have two catchers that you like. Yep. Boulware is a physical veteran. And Oki was a high, uh, high talent uh, freshman, a guy who should be a real difference maker at the college level over his career. But Grayson Griner, is a di- he's making a difference now. And it just seems like leadership-wise, and now he's starting to come into his own a little bit offensively. Another, another separating factor for South Carolina, The reason, another big reason why they're the, our pick to win the SEC this year. And it was striking to me on Friday night. You know, after Griner hit that grand slam and in the post-game press conference, first of all, listening to to, to Griner talk to the media, you know, it's it's kind of clear that he's one of those guys that, that has that that it factor a right. little bit. You know, I mean, he, I think I tweeted that he reminded me of Trey Turner, right? You just did. with his presence, and and then to hear Chad Holbrook get up and and just kind of gush about him and what he means to his program and how special he is and how he learns from the kid every every day. I mean, that's that shows you, you know, this guy is he is the heart and soul of their team, and you got to have those guys and. The Gamecocks during this 
this five-year run, it seems like they, they've had a lot of those kind of guys. So, um, This is a program that's pretty had pretty good catchers going back a long way to the yeah. Brandon Pack and the Landon, da- uh, Landon uh, Powell era. I mean, this, you know, Ray Tanner's always had pretty good and two-way catchers as well, and they've had them right. recently as well in this in this in their championship years. They had you know they, they said that they could go offense defense behind the plays. But Griner, if the bat comes along, Aaron, you know, has a chance to be as good as any of them because, uh, you know, the defense has been there. And that's the amazing part to me is that he's done this since freshman year. He had the yips. Yeah. He had a hard time throwing the ball back to the pitcher. I mean, this is a significant uh, progression for this young man in his career. It's, there are a lot of people who think very highly. I think there have always been scouts who are a little skeptical on the bat with him. And you see the frame, and some of them all have always thought pitcher. You see the frame, and you see the arm strength. I think some guys have wanted to see him as a conversion guy down the line that I've talked to over his career. But as a bat comes along, it's hard to find catchers who can catch and catch and throw. And he has those abilities, and now the bat's starting to come along. He's a pretty intriguing prospect as well. He really is. And and back to South Carolina uh, and the discussion we had in the rankings this week. You right. Know, we did think about putting them at number one. Um, and I think ultimately the reason that we, we held off is, A, um, the rest of South Carolina's schedule was very, very soft um, before this weekend. Yep. So you know, there's not there's not really the you know the entire body of work there that justifies I think moving down a couple of teams that have been good. I mean, Virginia, yeah, they had a midweek loss to VMI, but they swept their weekend series. We love their talent, obviously. I don't think they've done anything that would you know merit moving them down. And certainly, right. Florida State, after uh, winning two out of three against a good Miami team in a, in a rivalry series hate to move them down so right. that's why we wound up just leaving leaving the default there but um we certainly talked about it i mean you have to be impressed with, with certainly with what the gamecocks did this weekend yeah and i mean you know the first real big test for the gamecocks because they played bucknell and eastern kentucky on the previous two weekends so the first big test and they passed flying colors and um so a significant kind of statement win for them aaron the other big tournaments around the country pardon me there were several but seemed like the next one was the one out in, in Texas at the Astros College Classic. Uh, and the team that kind of benefited the most from that and that jumped up our rankings the most from that was Texas. Back in the top ten, I mean, Jim Schoner does a lot of the research for us on that. But I uh, can't remember the last time Texas was in the top ten uh, three, three weeks into the season. So they may, may have been ranked high in preseason rankings, but they kind of had stumbled out of the gates in recent years. What's different about this Texas team from the last couple of iterations, at least so far? Well, they're you know they're they're getting just enough offense and um, and timely hitting you know and that's what happened on on Sunday against Sam Houston State they were they were losing that game two nothing for a while there and then you know, I remember I, I turned it on uh, on the Longhorn Network on my computer uh, in the middle innings and Sam Houston State had a chance to extend the lead I mean they had two runners thrown out at the plate um, in in the fifth or sixth inning I think and Texas you know recouped and uh, uh, recovered and and you know. They got the hits, and that's kind of the thing they didn't get last year. They didn't get timely hitting. I mean, I don't think their personnel is, um, you know, they're not explosive yet, certainly. Right. Um, but I do think that all those those freshmen they brought in have, have given that offense a little bit more um, physicality and, and more, you know, they're just they're just more talented offensively. And so I think it'll take a time, a lot of some time for them to really gel, um, but. You know their pitching is is top shelf. You know it, it was as and it was very good last year. It was top right. ten in the in ERA in the country last year. But they're more experienced even now, and they're better and deeper. And 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 I think the offense is a little bit better. So it's it's enough that uh, you know they're off to a pretty good start here. And they they beat some good teams this weekend. Right. They beat Rice, um, which was ranked thirteenth. They beat Sam Houston State to wrap up in the middle. They beat Houston, which had won its first eight games. Um, maybe not the cleanest weekend for the Cougars defensively in the, the Astros College Classic, but really a, a chance for Houston to kind of make a statement and get in the top 25 rankings, and they couldn't quite do it. So, um, you know, kudos to, to Texas. Um, anything else from that weekend for the Astros College Classic? Jump out to you. I guess Sam Houston State's kind of yeah. the other story, Aaron. They've been uh, – they were on the cusp of the top 25 preseason. Um, they were kind of a fit fave coming into the year. The fit matrix liked Sam Houston State, I believe. Were they in the top 25 in the fit matrix or not quite? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't recall. Okay, we, we don't have the matrix in front of us. We don't, yeah. Contrary to popular belief, I don't have it walking around with me like as a <laughs> holographic projection sticking out of my my iPad. I I'd like to. If that happened, that'd be pretty cool. Um, but the Bearcats. I mean, what makes this team tick? 
Well, first of all, you know they're they're built differently than, than like a Texas, for instance, because they're uh, they're a veteran offensive team. Um, you know their lineup is is very experienced, and they've got a lot of guys that uh, you know are two two way guys that can uh, hit and defend. You know, and 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 like we're talking about South Carolina with the experienced catcher, and I think how much that matters. Right. Anthony Azar behind the plate for Sam Houston State is one of those guys, and you know they've got a, a real catalyst with Cole Atwood at the top of the lineup, and these are older players. Um, that have been to regionals and won a lot of big games. And, you know, I, I, one thing about this program is they play a lot of, uh, of very good midweek games, and they win a lot of them. Uh, they have since David Pierce got there, you know. And, and uh, I just think they're, I think they're very dangerous, and, and I do like their pitching too. And they got a legitimate number one starter with Tyler Epler. Um, and they beat a legitimate number one starter. I mean, nobody yeah. scored runs in that series except for Sam Houston State. In the Astros College Classic, if you scored runs, the other team committed a lot of errors, or you were named Sam Houston State. Yeah. I mean, Texas goes undefeated in the weekend. They went, what, eight, they, they scored eight runs the whole weekend and gave up four? I mean, Houston, Sam Houston State hung five runs on Brandon Finnegan, and just talking to scouts the last couple of weeks, Finnegan's first two starts were lights out. Yep. I mean, he was a little bit better than people remembered, from even from last summer when he really shined for the college national team, and he still struck out 11 against yeah. Sam Houston State, Aaron, so... That's a pretty good sign that you can go up against an opposing team's one of the top, I would say one of the top ten Friday starters in the country, and and hang a win on him like they did, so hang a loss on him I should say like like Sam Houston State did. Um, any, anything else from that that weekend stick out to you uh, in the Astros College Classic? Well, I'm a little bit concerned about Rice um, because first of all they're not scoring runs at all, and now it sounds like Jordan Stevens could be hurt. Um, you know, I think there was a kind of a cryptic answer from Wayne Graham about he's got arm soreness or something, but you know, came out of that game Friday pretty early, and that's always you know that's always a little bit of a red flag. And um, he's a key guy, you know. I mean, it's him and Lamond are really the two key guys on that staff. So um, if that's if that turns out to be something that keeps him out for a while, Rice could be in a little bit of trouble. That would probably be a lot of trouble. I mean, it's not a deep pitching staff. It's supposed to be a it's top heavy. It is top um, heavy. And it's um, a, phys- a lineup that we thought would be a little more physical, um, a little bit more of a, a powerful offense, yeah. at least in the current college baseball context. And it hasn't worked out that way yet. So Not yet. It's the Baseball America podcast uh, with John and Aaron uh, talking a little college baseball. Aaron, the other, you know, again, we saw Notre Dame here this weekend. We saw Michigan, um, you know, NC State, UCLA. I, you know, I, I guess UCLA is really the other team that made the statement and quite a way to. We talked last week in the podcast, so I don't want to belabor the Bruins too much, but with the injuries they had, Kramer, Felia, two of these more experienced and uh, higher upside bats going down. And Kevin for, Williams. And Kevin Williams while. being out for a while. So three, you got 130 in your starting lineup, and probably guys who would hit, what, 2 3 4 in right. your lineup? Um, maybe 1 3 4, and they're out. And this is the way UCLA responds is Cody Poteet, Grant Watson, James Caprillion. Three dominant starts in carry this weekend. And that's what I was kind of waiting to see from Caprillion and, and Petit. I mean, Watson has been good out of the gate. Um, not as good last week against Cal Poly. But, um, you know, Caprillion and Petit have a lot of talent and hadn't, hadn't yet really done it. Um, and, boy, it sounds like they were both really good this weekend. And, and Josh Norris was there. He's got video on our, on our site and reports. 26 strikeouts between them for Petit and, and Caprillion. And, what, two hits? Uh, maybe like three. That. It's a small amount of hard contact. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're get, when you're missing bats that consistently. Um, yeah, the, the guy that I saw that I wanted to ask you about, Aaron. Uh, you know, just uh, hashtag not a scout, but Jacob Cronenworth for yeah. Michigan. I had a good look at Jacob Cronenworth in that uh, Michigan Notre Dame game. The Wolverines won that one in ten innings. Cronenworth three hits, two RBIs, also two scoreless innings on the mound. What can you tell me about, uh, again, I was, I was with my son. I was talking to a lot of people. I didn't bear down on Jacob Cronenworth, but it was a good look, uh, yeah. but despite the fact that he was wearing the Clemson-cut pants that Michigan now favors. <laughs> you knew it was going to get worked in somewhere. What, yeah. what's, what's the skinny on Jacob Cronenworth? He's a good player. I mean, I think he and, and uh, the shortstop, Maisie's, are both, uh, I think they're both former hockey players. Okay. So they kind of have that hard-nosed mentality, and they're both physical. And I believe it was that we were asking about Cronenworth uh, around that, at that game. And that uh, one of the photographers, a uh, friend of the program and friend of BA, Ali Boyer-Rodi, was asking if he played hockey because he's missing a tooth. A prominent <laughs> missed tooth up front. So, there you go. You know, he's either from fill in the state that you want to make fun of 
or he's a hockey player. So we figured yeah. it was hockey. Now he's a hard nosed guy, and, and and I think he's I like his I like his stroke. I mean, he's got a, a lot of line drive strength in there with probably a little bit more pop down the road. He's got arm strength. Um, you know, I think he's he's pitched for him some, and he's a good player. Those two guys, I think him and, and Maisie's are really. Um, you know, a key part of their core there. And they, they, those guys played a lot as freshmen last year, had a lot to do with Michigan's improvement last year and, and under Eric Backage. Um, so, you know, I, I like I like that Michigan team. Big Ten is very intriguing to me, John, because, um, you know, Michigan State has had some nice wins early on this year. Michigan um, State's kind of caught my attention, first of all, because they play a tough schedule year in and year yep. out. Jake Boss doesn't you – know, he's not afraid to travel. He's not afraid to play teams. Not other teams are, but I give him credit for that. And a little bounce back this week from uh, Indiana with a yep. win against Louisville. And how about Illinois going down to, right. to Gainesville, right? And beating Florida twice and Florida Gulf Coast twice, and and not allowing I think four runs in four games. I mean that's boy that's that's a pretty loud weekend, and that's a, one of those programs that it feels like they're solid every year, and sometimes right. they can fly under the radar a little bit. Um, but Dan Hartlip does a great job. And, and they're opening and they the pitch. new they're, 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 they're a lot of construction on their ballpark. What is it? It's Jones Field. Yeah. It's getting. So, I mean, Indiana, just another team. Illinois. Uh, Illinois, thank you. We had, well, you used to look at the Big Ten and think it was like a two or three teams, kind of almost like the same two or three teams right, every year. Right. Ohio State, Minnesota, maybe a third team like a Michigan. Obviously, right. Michigan had the big year in 07. But now you're, in, you're talking about a, a, a league, and Illinois certainly has had its moments over the years. Yep. But from a consistency standpoint, it was usually Minnesota, Ohio State, maybe a third team. And now just like that, that league's like seven or eight deep it in is. competitive teams. And Purdue, which was on top of the league two years ago, is kind of going through some rebuilding right now. But uh, this is a deep league. It, uh, is, it uh, is a deep league. To win this league, uh, Indiana was obviously our preseason favorite. But they're going to have to – it's not going to be easy to win the Big Ten. I mean, yeah. how many? Uh, what's realistic for a number of bids for the Big Ten this year? Well, you know, last year they weren't that far off from getting – Three. I mean, really, if Nebraska wins one more game over the course of a season, right? I think they get in because whether um, they were one game under five hundred and yeah. they had like a top twenty-five RPIs in like all year. Yeah, twenty-five thirty. It was, it was good. You know, it was a strong schedule. So, I mean, I feel like Indiana, Nebraska. Um, you know, maybe you know those two teams that we had as, as projected regional teams in the preseason. But then you got you know Michigan, Michigan State. You got Illinois. Um, you know, maybe you could see an Ohio State in the mix. I mean, there's, there's six right. teams that I feel like are legitimate regional caliber teams. Um, you know, I, I still like, you know, some of the, some of the talent on, on Minnesota's roster. I think Northwestern's improved, um, you know, its talent level. I mean, there's, it, it is deep. And, and so I think probably you're looking at two or three bids, but um, just because of the RPI reality. But, right. uh, but I think there's more teams that are, that are, you know, regional caliber. It's, a deep, it's just a deep, it's a competitive league. And I like the fact that, you know, five, ten years ago you could have looked at the Big Ten and you could have imagined a lot of teams not not even having baseball anymore. And instead, yeah. you've seen programs around that league invest. And Illinois is yet another one that's doing some investing. And we have a couple questions on Twitter. I was going to also add that Ohio State went 2-1 and one in the Keith LeClaire Classic this weekend over in Greenville, North Carolina. So uh, the only loss being 3-2 at the hands of the home team, the homestanding Pirates. So... Uh, good weekend for Ohio State. Good weekend for Illinois. A little bit of a bounce back week in a way uh, for Indiana. Yeah, and, and you know Iowa is off to a nine and one start. They are. <laughs> I, I, I was gonna. I wasn't sure whether to ask you about Iowa. They do have a coaching change. Rick Heller. I think we think highly of Rick Heller. Did a nice yeah. job at Northern Iowa. Did a nice job at Indiana State. Now he's at Iowa. I don't know if you ex- we expected to turn around that quickly. But if there's anybody who's going to turn Iowa around, it would seem to be Rick Heller be the, the candidate. And you know. Baseball in that state, clearly perfect game being based there and uh, bringing in a lot of, you know, it's elevated just the playing opportunities for high school kids in Iowa, in the state of Iowa. Uh, you have the uh, junior college there. Uh, Iowa, is it Iowa Western that's won an yep. NJCAA title or two? So it just seems like college baseball and amateur baseball in the state is much better now than it was, say, 15 years ago. Maybe the time is ripe for Iowa to be uh, another team that's competitive Tough landscape, in the Big Ten. Though, in that league. I right. Mean, the, being competitive is one thing. Being able to really make headway is, is another couple of good questions on twitter uh jason pyant eyes on vandy got a lot of vanderbilt twitter and bloggers out there uh with a good question what will be the non-conference rivalry you would like to see played on an annual basis similar to south carolina clemson hmm. um is there one that makes sense Aaron? you know I, I personally would love to see usc notre dame in baseball like you do in football um i think it would be good for both of them uh i, I know i was 
um, looking forward to it when it almost happened in a regional back in 2001 and then it didn't. Um, it would seem to be one that would be a TV event that you could pick up. That's one that sticks out to me. Uh, are there, there others that make sense for you, Aaron? You know, there are a couple. These are mi- more minor things, but I mean, you know, in-state um, rivalries that we don't get to see because of other factors. You know, South Carolina and Coastal Carolina. Yeah. Um, you know, Miami and FIU. We do see Miami and Florida every year, uh, yeah. which is or Florida, Florida State. Also, those are two that you see in the state of Florida. We do see. Uh, again, they're, they're heated. They're not quite as heated, in my mind, as South Carolina Clemson, just because South Carolina Clemson gets very, very heated. Um, those are going Texas Tech and M. That's one that you know, used to be in yeah. conference. That's probably the one that jumps out to me the most. Absolutely. They used to be conference rivals, probably still should be conference rivals, but the college sports lands- landscape being what it is. Um, but that's one that they don't play, correct, Aaron? That's the uh, Right, I believe that's correct. And, and that, that's the answer. That's the one that, that I would love to see. Uh, that's the one that makes the most sense to me. But good question. Um, and then Ryan Sullivan, uh, NatsGM.com is his Twitter handle. Um, so I don't know if this is actually Mike Rizzo or not. Uh, maybe it's Jim Bowden uh, with a secret Twitter handle. Uh, general question, but can you, t- can you all talk about Terps baseball, Jake Stinnett, and the job Coach Chef has done? Thanks. And Jake Stinnett, Aaron, uh, the second no-hitter, second nine-inning no-hitter of the college baseball season this weekend. You know, Eric Backich, we talked about his Michigan program. And there's more talent, I think, there at Michigan. He did not leave the cover bare, but John Sheff does a nice job on his own. Uh, with a nice history his, as a head coach at Maris, as a recruiting coordinator at Louisiana Lafayette, now the head coach at Maryland. What's he got to work with there with the Terps? Well, first of all, he's got a legitimate ace in, in Jake Stinnett, you know, and this is a guy that uh, has always been kind of intriguing. You know, he's an arm strength guy, and when he got there, he was a two way player, mostly a, a third baseman his freshman year, didn't huh. pitch that much. Uh, and, and he's pitched a little bit more over the course of his career. Um, you know, last year he became a full-time guy and was an all-ACC starting pitcher. And um, you know, the more he pitches, the better he gets. And he's physical. He's six foot four. Um, you know, works downhill. And it's, I mean, I heard he sits 90-93, and he'll touch 94-95. Mm. And you know, he'll pitch heavily off the fastball, but he'll mix in a little slider and a changeup. And uh, and he's got you know, command. He got really good control. He pounds his own. So um, you know, that that's really. You know, I know it was UMass, but, uh, you know... He I, still did it. He still did it through a no-hitter, and he's, he's, he's going to give them a chance to win every Friday in that league, even against the, the Luke Weavers and the Carlos Rodons of the world. I mean, he's he's a legit dude. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the ACC teams, and Duke is another team that has pretty legit pitching. Yep. There's some power arms in this league, even not at the top, which you know makes it, I think it's, you know, for the teams that you don't consider the top teams. Does Maryland have enough... To go with him to finally kind of make that push. I mean, I know they have third-team All-American Charlie White is back yeah. at the top of their lineup, a slap and dash outfielder who had a really good year last year. Hard to find outfielders who performed, so he was an All-American. Was he um, for us? I know he was in the discussion. Was, I don't know, but I don't know if he actually I, made the I, team or not. I thought we had him on there. I could be wrong because he stole a lot of bags. I, I thought he was a third-team All-American for us, but they have uh, uh, an injury, I believe, to Kyle uh, Hare Convasar. Um, don't come or don't. Turn around, uh oh! Kyle Convasar's in town. It's a it's a uh, Falco song. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what that is. Kyle Convasar's in town. Uh oh! Yeah, come on. Only Falco uh, I know is Edie. Alice Clark, Kyle Convasar. People of a certain age will know that one. <laughs> Sorry, um, but they obviously they also you know they had good pitching last year, but they lost a couple guys. Jimmy Reed, I forget the right hander's name. Kilpatrick, I believe, was who's, yeah. who's gone. Uh, what's left in the uh, what's what's left in the cupboard besides Jake Sinnett for the Terps this year? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm I'm curious to kind of see what they can do here once they get into conference play. I mean, they have gotten off to a good start. I think they're eight and are they eight, eight, and, two? And, two, eight, eight and two. Eight and two. Yep. I mean, they swept a Bryant team. Um, we like I, Bryant. We like. And they have a Brian has a lot back from that team that John picked to win a regional last year. Um, I, I can't believe I did that. You did. You I picked, did do that. You picked them to win a regional against Arkansas and uh, and they and they performed well out there. They That's beat right. Arkansas I remember that now. In a game, they were respectable uh, for that pick. Yeah. It was more like a pick that I didn't believe in Arkansas, if memory serves. And Kansas State wound up winning the regional. So right. You were right not to believe in Arkansas, but. Um, anyway, and, and I know Maryland also lost some talent. They, you know, this is what, what can happen with a coaching change. You know, KJ Hockaday and Tim Kine both transferred out to NAIA schools, so they lost some power potential there. So the lineup's probably not as good as we thought it could be potentially coming into the year, considering the Hockaday has been a 
uh, Cal Ripken League legend, <laughs> and uh, who never really put it together at, at Maryland. And he hasn't put it together really anywhere. Yeah, uh, it's tease a tease. And Tim Kine played in the Cape last summer, showed some power, and they lost. So they lost two big bats. So they're probably going to have to win with pitching, defense, a little speed, and manufacturing some runs because yeah. you know it's hard to replace. Power bats like that. Yeah, I think it's Keeney. I think but it I could is be Keeney. wrong. I've been wrong in other pronunciation discussions today. You have been. You're out <laughs> for one. We'll, we'll have to look that one up. I, I, the scouts I've talked to, but uh, uh, scouts aren't good pronunciation guides. So but the scouts I talked to saw him in the fall and saw him in the summer. Uh, called it kind, but I could be wrong. I did see Kyle Commissar DH to one of those games this weekend for Maryland, which is which is. I love his name. I saw him last year at NC State. Yeah. I love that name. He's a good. He's a good player too, and you know they've got some guys in the middle of that lineup that have performed for him. You know Brandon Lowe and Lamont Wade. Um, you know they, they've got they've got some pieces here. They could be a, a decent offensive team, but I, I still don't really know what to make of Maryland. I look forward to seeing them a little bit more in ACC play. And one other Twitter question, and for some reason I navigated away from my Twitter. Um, I hope it wasn't a college baseball question, so we won't take that one. Aaron, I did want to talk about a couple of other series that we previewed. Um, UCLA, we talked in the, uh, earlier about them in the, the statement, kind of as a West Coast team coming to the East, and they beat Carlos Rodon. They just dominate on the mound. Uh, they didn't just beat Carlos Rodon. They beat NC State. They shackled NC State's lineup, which I think is a pretty good lineup. Yep. So um, one of the better lineups in the country for me. Um, but another statement series uh, involving a Pac-10 team, a Pac-12 team, but the statement really made by Cal State Fullerton. I mean, just a resounding sweep by the Titans. And uh, they'd struggled out of the gates at 4-3, and three, but, man, uh, Rick Vanderhoek had to be pleased with what his team did this weekend. It was complete error, and it seemed like it was all three phases of the game. Cal State Fullerton was better than Oregon. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, the thing that Oregon does really well, Fullerton does better, and that is pitch. Um, and, you know... <laughs> That's it. That's it. I mean, and, and Fullerton is, is certainly, I think, the, the more um, dangerous offensive team. And, you know, I, I think Oregon is, is a better offensive team than they have been in years past. Um, I think they will be, you know, when, when the dust settles. I like some of the pieces there. Um, but, you know, I think Fullerton with Chapman and Davis in the middle of the lineup, that's a separator. And Greg Velasquez, is, you know, the senior, um, has had a nice year so far. He's given them a real boost. And I think Austin Deemer's taken a step forward as a junior. You know, some of these older guys that Fullerton has been, you know, was hoping would, would be better um, have been. So, uh, yeah, certainly, you know, the Titans, they, they play well up there. And, and it does look like they play well in all facets. And, um, you know, they, they, they had some big innings against good – Good Oregon pitching and and uh, it seems like it's really hard to put up crooked numbers yeah, against the Ducks. It is, and especially in their ballpark, it's a big ballpark, and yet yeah, it's uh, no turf too. It's just it's hard to string together rallies. That's it. And then, but Matt Chapman and J.D. Davis, you know, Chapman with a three-run homer. I mean, that, that's the kind of the separator between this Fullerton team potentially and recent iterations. Is it not? This should be an offense that's capable of explosion, even against good pitching. Because it's a pretty veteran offense, yeah. and Davis to me is the separating factor there. He's, I, I, he, this is a fifth round pick at a high school, who's got the power to either the bat speed to hit any any pitcher. Does he not? Oh yeah, certainly. I mean, it's legit. It's legit big time bat speed. And you know, I mean, last year when they had Lorenz in and they had Lopez and Pedro, they had some older guys. That was a really good offensive team too. I mean. You know, it's like John Savage said after the Super Regional. He thought they were the best team in the country last right. year, and they just UCLA beat them. UCLA beat a lot of really good teams last right. year on the way to the College World Series title. But um, you know, so they, they lost some of those pieces, and, and I, I think maybe you know I don't know that the offense is going to be better than it was last year for Fullerton, uh, but I do think that you know they've got some they've got enough pieces there to be a very good offensive team, and the pitching staff is uh, incredible. So yeah, how I mean, about Phil Bickford coming to the bullpen with, with seven strikeouts at what two and yeah, eight, eight out seven by strikeouts? I mean, that is just a, a it's not a very it's a not so secret weapon. Yeah, uh, but you did have the matchup this weekend of the two teams with the highest drafted unsigned players out of high school going to going uh, against yeah. each other, uh, Crook and, and Bickford. And uh, even though Bickford uh, had a small, somewhat small role, pretty loud performance in a small role out of the bullpen, and just a guy. Again, it's just a luxury that you have if you're uh, Rick Vanderhoek that you can deploy Phil Bickford out of the bullpen. Talk about a moment, a truth guy. Yeah. you got a first-round arm if he's healthy, and he's been pretty healthy so far this year. Oh, yeah. uh, looking pretty good, just coming out there and uh, blowing things away. And Crook has been good for Oregon, too. I mean, that's the guy that, right. um, you know, 
there were some questions after he didn't sign about maybe the the shoulder, know, right? I mean, the the health factor, and, and so far talking about a guy that's been healthy and dealing. I mean, he's been he's given them three strong starts, struck out a lot of guys, and seems like the control is getting better week by week. So, um, you know, there, there's. He's got a bright future. Hey, we'll take it. Players like Phil Bickford and Matt Crook coming to college, yeah. uh, good for college baseball. We'll take it. Um, Aaron, wrapping up a little bit, some new teams at the back of the rankings. Um, we dropped out, just by coincidence, four SEC teams that were at the back of the rankings, all lost series this weekend. Alabama losing a series at Louisiana Lafayette. Pretty good week for the for the Raging Cajuns. Taking TCB yeah. taking care of business. You know, and, and they were they were fired up for that series. I think I, I saw somewhere that is the first time they ever hosted a three game series against an SEC team. Wow. I don't know if that's true, but I thought I saw that somewhere in passing. Um, and you know, it was Mardi Gras weekend. They're never at home that weekend. They're always on the road. They want to you know minimize distractions. <laughs> Probably a smart move. And so instead, they're at home, and you know, I'm sure it was wild. They'd sell out crowds and. You know, they got great pitching from Austin Robichaux and then from Carson Baranek, uh those first two games. And, you know, that's that pitching staff um, looks like it is significantly improved yep. because of those because of those junior college transfers added in there. And, and the maturity of Robichaux. The maturity of Robichaux. As a coach's son was, you know, fairly well regarded <laughs> out of high school, kind of a projection guy. Does it feel like the the, vo- the velocity has like it doesn't feel like he's filled out those projections, but at the same time he's got two years of weekend series experience here, and he's a good pitcher. He does yes. have good stuff. Maybe yeah. it's not premium stuff, but he has good stuff, and he's pitching a week of rotation for three years now, and he knows what he's doing. Yeah, and, and credit Alabama for not getting swept. You know, they came yep. back and, and put up some runs on Sunday, and um, you know, I mean. We ran them out of the top 25 because it was a one and three week. They did lose a midweek game also, but um, you know, certainly no shame in going on the road. And uh, kudos to Alabama for scheduling that series. Absolutely. I mean, going on the road against a very dangerous mid-major in a tough atmosphere, um, and you know, and kudos to Mitch Gasper and his staff. Period. That yeah, program's absolutely. talent level is very different from what it was at the end of the Jim Wells era. Yeah. It's very different. Where two, three years ago, teams just were amazed by Alabama's lack of physicality. You just never hear that anymore. He's taking that team. Uh, they're they're going to be fine. Yep. I don't think we're worried about them. Like you said, very good sign. And they went on the road, hostile environment, good team, didn't get swept. Absolutely. And then Texas A&M falls out of the rankings. Speaking of swept, A&M did get swept. So Fresno State, which was a team Aaron, we had a real hard time. I mean, uh, I say we, mostly you, uh, hard time kind of assessing just how good this team was coming into the season because on paper looked like one of the better Fresno State teams in the last five years. And now they started to play that way and answering some of the preseason questions we had as they sweep a good A&M team. Yeah, yeah. And I kudos mean, to A&M for scheduling this series as well. Sure, yeah, we, going, we, the, we, going out west. We talked about we were kind of knocking SEC teams for not going on the road, and that probably should have done that because a lot of these teams, here's a weekend where Vanderbilt, and, I mean not Vanderbilt, where uh, Alabama and Texas A&M both did that on the road and challenged themselves and they didn't. They weren't up to the challenge, but kudos to them for scheduling it anyway. And heck, you know, the other team that we brought in, and the reason we brought in one of the reasons we brought in Ole Miss instead of Tennessee is right. because Ole Miss went on the road for three games uh, series to start at Stetson, whereas Tennessee hasn't left home. So, right, great you know, point. Those are those are um, you know two teams that have both got off to very good starts. I think this is going to help the conference when it comes time for the tournament selection. And you're on the fence with maybe a nine, eight, eight nine, ten SEC teams, maybe even more. Um, the conference's RPI is always going to be good, but ev- if every team in the league just plays one series on the road non-conference, that lifts the whole conference, especially if you're playing pretty good teams. And yeah. All these teams are. If you're on that baseball committee and you're looking in total at each of these teams, you're going to go down the line and see, man, this team played someone on the road. This team played on the road. This team challenged. You know, that, that's going to look good uh, come Memorial Day. And, you know, the ACC is just... I think tried to do that too to some degree. I mean, certainly, you know, Miami always plays its series against yep. Florida. This year, they also had a non-conference against Florida State. Yep. You had Florida State playing Georgia the week before. Right. NC State tried to go out west to play UC Santa Barbara. Right. Couldn't right. make it. Not their fault. Um, so you know, I mean, there's some of the, the certainly Virginia. You know, travels early in the year a little bit. Went down to that uh, good but, tournament at Wilmington. Yep. They played a good series against ECU. So um, you know, there. It's not like. A lot of people out west like to rag the ACC and the SEC because they don't travel much early in the season, and you know we don't blame them to some degree staying close to home because right. you know you can you can make money those weekends if you're Mississippi State or LSU. Absolutely, that's a big difference. <laughs> that's a huge difference. You could make money if you're UCLA and you stay home this time of year. You might have 500 people at, a, at your game. True. Yeah. Fair. 800. Uh-huh. 800 would be good, right? Yeah. 
it's a little bit different when you have 8,000. Yes. You know, you're passing up a lot of money. So you can't blame those teams. And yet, so a lot of these teams still are challenging themselves on the road. I mean, Ole Miss has one of the bigger season ticket bases. Absolutely. And, and it's a good segue. First, Fresno State, though. Talk a little bit about Fresno and then Ole Miss, another team that's new in the top 25, as, as, along with uh, Kentucky that we ranked there, another team that, again, an SEC team that uh, went on the road to start the year at, uh, in that same tournament, beat UVA, and has played well all season. They get themselves in the rankings. But Fresno State, really, I mean, uh, uh, it just stands out. Two shutouts yep. uh, against Texas A&M this weekend. Uh, you know, what's, what's going on with the Bulldogs to get them back into the top 25 rankings? Well, first of all, Jordan Brink has taken that step forward. He's kind of, you know, we talked about Jake Stinnett from Maryland. Brink's kind of a similar guy who came in as a two-way guy, um, was more of a position player than a pitcher early in his career. Um, last year, he kind of transitioned to being more of a pitcher, and this year he's, He's an ace, and he's got electric stuff. And he went out there and, and was a one hit, I think. Uh, you know, he allowed against A and M and beat Daniel Mengden. And then, you know, but but I think the staff has some more depth too than it had last year. Tim Borst was the guy who was outstanding on Sunday um, in that one nothing shutout. And they they got the. Uh, uh, I think it was Taylor Ward had the, the walk-off you got to come up with a Borst and Brink or Brink and Borst and... It's like the modern-day Flack and Strong, isn't it? <laughs> it is kind of perfect. I was going 1948 <laughs> like Boston Braves, naturally. Sure, you know, sure. Who doesn't think of the 1948 Boston <laughs> Braves here and, uh, when you do that? But yes, Flack and Frank, that's an all-time... All name team combo hard right, to beat right. that one. If only Chaz Frank could play with Flack, right. Frank, and Frank, <laughs> it would have been perfect. But Brinken, I already forgot the other guy's name. I'm Brinkenborst. Brinkenborst is pretty awesome, actually. It's too bad it's not just one player. Brinkenborst, maybe Tim Breckbuehler like can transfer out there. Jace Brinkerhoff. Brinkerhoff, another great one. Goose Kaluki. We've gone off the rails. <laughs> it happens. But Fresno State, I mean, you shut out a top twenty-five team twice on a weekend, yeah. and, you, and you sweep the series. You're going to get in. And again, Ole Miss, Aaron, I think we talked about this is a pretty critical year for Ole Miss, it feels like. You know, last year you watched some of the games on TV, and uh, so they were on a couple of SEC Thursday night games and a lot of empty seats. And what were they, 17-22 and 22 in their last 39 games, I think it was last year, stumbled down the stretch, wound up being a two-seat on the road, uh, didn't even, uh, weren't even the, the regional runner-up over here in Raleigh in the regional there, did not look good yeah. in that regional. So a little bit on the line for Ole Miss to kind of get back into that SEC elite and they're off to a good start with it this year. And yeah. this is after losing Bobby Wall, uh, Mike Myers, exactly. two real rotation stalwarts. So what's left in, in Oxford? Well, you know, I've heard really good reports on, on the three starters they do have. You know, Chris Ellis has taken that jump. We wrote about him last week in the yep. Spike Spotlight. Uh, I've heard Christian Trent has been outstanding as, as a, you know, a left-hander that has good stuff. Um, you know, he'll be up to 91 or 92, and he's got feel for pitching, and um, and then Sam Smith, I've heard. I think I think I've heard he's been up to 90, 93, maybe ninety four, um, holding his velocity. And you know, again, it's a three pitch guy. So they've got three legit starters there. Um, I, I like their lineup a lot heading into the year. I was just curious how their pitching would shake out. Um, but you know, they've got a very athletic lineup, a lot of speed. Um, you know, with the Braxton Lee and Austin Bossfield and. Um, you know, J.P. Woodman is a very exciting freshman. Errol Robinson gives them a, another legit shortstop, which um, has been a, an area of concern for them the last couple of years. I right. mean, you know, uh, Zach Cozart uh, hasn't been walking through that door the last couple of years, <laughs> and, and I think Robinson finally gives them that answer that they needed at short. So um, I think they're I think they're a pretty fascinating club. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll see if they can sustain this in SEC play. But so far, so good. I do like the fact that they played a, a solid schedule. I mean, these are all name, you know, name teams, Stetson and UCF. And then, you know, Georgia State is a very offensive team this right. year that they, they shut down the first two games of that series. So um, it's, not, it's not, you know, an elite schedule, but it's, it's a solid schedule. Yeah, and, and, and they're ranked in the top 25. So, you know, again, so you lost three SEC teams, or four, I should say, Alabama, A&M, Arkansas, Florida all uh, out. But two SEC teams come in and take their place, two, two of the four new faces. Aaron, any concern with you about the Gators? Uh, you know, they, they scored two runs all weekend. Uh, I'm sorry, they scored uh, six runs all weekend. Uh, they only get one win. And they're two weeks away, basically. One more week of non-conference play, but getting in the SEC. Any worries about the Gators? Uh, or Arkansas, or A&M, Alabama long-term. We talked a little bit about A&M, we talked a little bit about Alabama, but it feels like Florida's on shaky ground. They were they were on shaky ground last year. It's a much younger team this year. I feel like it's a more talented team this year, but it feels pretty shaky. Yeah, they are. They are. I mean, I think 
the freshman class has upgraded the talent level, but there is going to be a learning curve there. You know, they have not really hit the ground running so far. And, uh, you know, they're, you're right. They're just not scoring runs. Like A&M, I mean, those are two teams that are just not scoring a lot of runs. And um, I, I believe in A&M's established pitching more than I believe in Florida's. Um, and I think, you know, both these teams will get better offensively. Um, but certainly this is not an encouraging start. Um, you know, in Arkansas, they had just a little bit of a hiccup this weekend, but they did get Trey Killian back, um, which, you know, he didn't have a very good debut this weekend um, in his first start since coming back from that uh, NCAA <laughs> issue. But say, Aaron, we, we went uh, 40 minutes in the podcast without talking NCAA, but Ben Wetzler came back, yeah. Killian came back. Is there anybody still waylaid out there? Is everybody I think back? That's there? it. I think everybody's back. The NCAA Clearinghouse doing its job, I guess. <laughs> so, huzzah! Everyone's playing. It's March and people are finally playing. So, Hooray. yeah, exactly. Thank you for getting those players back on the field. Um, but Harrison Bader not back on the field. That's not an NCAA suspension. That's a that's a, it's a school suspension. suspension. School yeah. suspension. I think it's an automatic nineteen games or something. It's like a third of the season automatically for. A, uh, alcohol-related incident with uh, driving, so that's... That that's makes some really sense, actually. That they have a little formula for it. That probably yep. makes some sense. Yeah. But, I mean, like, you wouldn't think that a team that had, does have some depth would be that affected by one player, but I think it just tells you he's a pretty good player. He's and it's harder, it's harder to replace your best hitter. Yep. But uh, the Gators, uh, again, uh, the pitching there does look pretty good, though. I was, I was, and I was struck. You, you wrote about him last week when you went down to Miami. Carson Whitson pitches five solid innings this weekend. Do you ever feel like he's ever going to be his old self, Aaron, or can he at least be a good college pitcher? You know, I mean, the, I was encouraged by the fact that I saw some 93s and maybe a 94 or two, depending on what gun you looked at last week. That, to me, tells me that the arm strength is coming back. And, um, you know, he didn't he didn't have, like I said, like I wrote about last week, I don't think he had conviction yet with the slider. And that's, right. That's going to come. But, um, you know, even even that he snapped off a couple of times with some – some velocity. I mean, I want to say it was 83, 84. So, I mean, it's, you know, you, you can see the signs, the makings of, of what he used to be are, are, are still there, and um, he seems to be progressing each week. And, yeah, I think he's got a chance to, you know, to return to form. I mean, it wasn't like he had, um, a, you know, like a, like a torn labrum that was like a career-threatening right. thing. I mean, it was, you know, as far as shoulder surgery goes, um, <laughs> it was, you know. It, it, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. So, yeah, I think he can he can return to form, and, and you know we'll see. I don't know if he's going to get another chance for two million dollars out of the draft. Uh, probably not. That may that may <laughs> have been by the boards. A yeah. um, couple of uh, the, you think of the Padres, and you think is you know Carson Whitson they didn't sign, and Brett Austin they didn't sign. Brett Austin, mm-hmm. nice college player. Carson Whitson's been to Omaha. Brett, Brett Austin's been to Omaha. Those guys turned down a combined like three point five plus million dollars. I don't think they're going to get. That money again? So no, I don't think so. Um, there's more to it than that. I get it. I'm not. I'm not crushing the kids here, but uh, that that is hard. That, it's hard to be offered. Very few high school players get offered that kind of money, and it, it's very hard to bet on yourself. So I always respect the players who do that, but it's challenging and it doesn't always work out. They don't want to play, John. They don't want to play. Well, you hear it. Well, the thing is, I think it, <laughs> I think you hear a lot about the Mark Appels. Who do bet on themselves and it works out. Yep. And we talk a lot about those kind of guys, and it's good to talk about those guys. There are also other stories. Yes, other guys. Are. I think the I think sometimes the scouts only talk about their guys, who who where the guys who, you know the guys who turn down the money and it didn't work out, and they want to remind people of that. And you know, I I, I, I hear the story all the time that you know t- people like to t- told Brett Austin, hey, here's the track record of hitters out of NC State historically. Well, Trey Turner's killing that. You know, Trey Turner turned out a lot of money out of high school and went to NC State, and he bet on himself, and it's going to work out. So I just think that sometimes pro ball always accentuates, and on Twitter a lot of times you just hear the pro side of it and the money that got turned down, and I think sometimes you don't think about the money that guys who did bet on themselves get talked about. So it's, it's just a very mixed picture out there, and yeah, those guys are on my – Carson Whitson, that's the first thing, that, like you said last week when you wrote about it, he's always going to be talked about as the unsigned first-round pick. And he's hoping to live that down. And the way you live that down is you compete, you help your team wins, get, win games. He competed well this weekend. So I just, I don't know the kid. I don't know the dad. I don't know the, all the story. I'm kind of rooting for him to, to pitch well and help his team win games. Absolutely. Because it's all, like you said, it's always going to be talked about the money. And it's just not all about the money. You know, So for him, it's about competing, throwing your pitches with conviction, 
kind of let the chips fall where they may, but right now he wears a Florida Gators uniform and, and see if he helps that team pitch, uh, win games. And They didn't win his start this weekend, but he pitched well, so I'm encouraged by that. So. A little rambling there. I liked it. Uh, but but uh, there was a point to it. it. It's just not you can't define all these draft decisions by the money. And we talked about Matt Crook and Phil Bickford, and right now Phil Bickford's defining it by he went and shoved and he helped Cal State Fullerton win a sweep a weekend series and you know, he committed to Cal State Fullerton in the first place for a reason. It wasn't just draft leverage. It's because he liked the program and he wanted to wear Titans across his chest. Sure. He's got three years to do that and to uh, to win some games for his team. So and, and and look at Tyler Beatty for Vanderbilt. I mean, a guy that could have you know could have made a lot of money out of, out of high school and turned down a lot, just like Tyler Bigford. Same <laughs> team, same draft class. Aaron Nola. Uh, Luke Weaver, Tyler Beatty, same Toronto wow, Blue Jays draft class. We had a uh, there's a uh, Twitter question about the Blue Jays asking about where, where their farm system will rank. Not really the podcast to answer that, but I tell you what, their farm system will rank a lot better if they had Aaron Nola, Tyler Beatty, and Luke Weaver in it. Yeah, think how different we think about them <laughs> with those three mother scratchers in there. I mean, that's a pretty big unsigned class. And Beatty was the first round pick. The other two guys were like 19 to 20 first round picks, somewhere in that range. So they weren't as big a priority, but in that era, in that last draft class, 2011, anything went. Spend the money, and uh, we think about the Blue Jays, I think, very differently. And we think about those three college teams, Vanderbilt, LSU. We haven't even talked about NOLA on the podcast yet this year. We should make he's a so point of doing it. so automatic that you almost take it, it for granted. And also, they haven't played anybody. <laughs> those two things. They lost two games this week. They lost to Yale in a game they led 6 to nothing at home on a Sunday. That is... Uh, wow. That's NG. I mean, wow! That's that was to me was this that was a stunner of the weekend. I mean, you're seriously probably uh, uh, we probably need to tweet out. We need to monitor the Twitter of the LSU baseball team today just to see what Palmineri put them through yeah. in the wake of blowing that game because I bet you it's not going to be too pretty. So, a little rambly here at the end. I apologize, uh, but I, I get a little fired up about that subject. So, Aaron, great stuff. Looking forward to the three strikes from. Uh, wrapping up South Carolina Clemson series. Glad you went down there. Are you are you glad you went down there? I really am. It really. Uh, you know, it's like like we were saying before the the podcast started. You know, I think I've gone to the, the Minute Maid tournament every year since '07, just because you you can see six teams in three days and you got the roof, um, so you know you're going to get the games in. Guaranteed. But, but, it wouldn't even have been guaranteed if you had stayed on the West Coast this year with I the rain. It. Who knew UCLA had to come to North Carolina to get good weather? How about that. Remember that, Johnny Savage. <laughs> It's supposed to sleet here any minute now, I think. It is, yes. Early <laughs> release uh, for the kids. I need to go pick up my kids. Yeah. But anyway, the, the tournament, you know, or the, the, the Clemson-South Carolina series, glad I finally finally made it a priority this year heading into the season, and, and glad I did because it was fantastic. Great atmosphere, great ballparks, great crowds. Great Lived up to the hype. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the, the storylines were, were pretty uh, remarkable. And the media attention. Is it yeah. not, like, just crazy oh, media? Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, and I think South Carolina basketball, like, beat – Kentucky this weekend, so I mean, but I don't think anybody noticed. You know, I mean, they were all focused on the baseball series. That's to me what makes it so special is that in basketball, it, it is the second biggest sport in that state after after college football. Yeah. There's just no question. So kudos to those two programs. Kudos to the, those coaching staffs and those fans for making it must watch TV and, and, a, and a big event on the college baseball calendar. We love them for it. So for Aaron Fit, who I also love. I'm John Manuel. This podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack rate and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, faster, lighter. I'm sorry. Stronger, lighter, farther. Louisville Slugger. We'll do that better next week, and we'll come back with more college baseball next Monday. Until then, so long, everybody.